It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. You are Locked On Angels, your daily Los Angeles Angels podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back to another episode of Locked On Angels, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. You're locked in with your host, Brent McGuire. Today's episode is brought to you by Built Bar. Built Bar is one of the best tasting protein bars on the market right now. And if you go to BuiltBar.com right now and use the promo code Locked On, you'll get 20% off your first order. In today's episode, I'm going to kick off a new series looking at the all of the GMs in Angels franchise history. Before getting to that, we will touch on some of the recent MLB developments in terms of the schedule for this year, the Universal DH, and some of the recent signings. Before getting the episode as usual, if you want to follow me on Twitter, you can find me at BMAGS94. You can follow my written work at Crashing the Pearly Gates. And if you haven't done so already, make sure to download, subscribe, rate, and review the Lockdown Angels podcast wherever you get your podcasts from. So happy Tuesday. I want to apologize right up front. I am having some major microphone issues, and for whatever reason, I cannot get my usually reliable microphone to connect with my computer, and I didn't really want to push off uh, the episode until tomorrow or the next day because I don't know when this will be fixed, so I wanted to put something out there, but I do want to apologize at the beginning for the quality. I am definitely sounding a little different without my microphone. But I hope you enjoyed your weekend. I'm excited to dive into some Angels baseball, touch on some of the recent developments in baseball, and start a new series that I actually did an article for, or a series of articles for, at Crashing the Pearly Gates last year, kind of during the early quarantine stuff. It was a series where I went back, looked at every single GM, kind of wrote up about what they did, you know, what they did right, what they did wrong, kind of their backstory all that kind of stuff. And that's another little series that'll kind of take us right into spring training if it actually happens on time. And that's kind of a good segue to today's episode. So I kind of want to get into some of the recent Major League Baseball developments. So I think first and foremost, the most notable thing that we have seen in the last couple days was this actually came out on Monday. It said uh, Cactus League informs Major League Baseball of their desire to delay the start of spring training. Now, I'm reading this directly from MLB Trade Rumors, and it says, less than a month before players are set to report to spring training, Arizona's Cactus League has submitted a formal request to Commissioner Rob Manfred asking that the start of spring training be delayed due to the COVID-19 infection rate in Maricopa County. Uh, it goes on to say that the Cactus League itself does not have the authority to delay the start of spring training, but its formal requests uh, figures to elicit a response from the commissioner's office. So there's a lot to unpack here. I think first and foremost, this is significant for the Angels. It's significant for baseball because we're looking at another couple of rough months for, or possibly a couple of rough months for the Major League Baseball slash Players Association relationship. We obviously saw a lot of that last year, a lot of, I would say, bad blood between both of the sides, and I fully expect that to continue. So it it is worth pointing out, uh, Jeff Passan of ESPN pointed out that 
the basically the head of the the Cactus League or the advisory board sent this out, but those same people also are allowing Arizona Coyote games for the NHL with fans in attendance. So there's something a little wacky going on here. Look, I fully endorse trying to play this all safe. I think trying to take the protocol seriously and this disease seriously are more important than anything else. So I expect that that's going to be at the forefront of all this, but it is kind of interesting, maybe even hypocritical that these same people are also allowing NHL games to be played right now. So we'll see how this develops again. The Cactus League itself can't really do anything about this. This is a major league baseball and a players association decision, but we're already seeing kind of this back and forth banter between both sides. There is already some like early reporting that players are ready to fight back on the idea. If the season is delayed once again, that the major league baseball and the owners are going to try to prorate the pay. I'm sure players are going to be vehemently against that and they have every right to be so. So interesting development. Uh, another important piece of news from the Major League Baseball landscape. This also came out in the last few days, and this is, again, directly from MLB Trade Rumors, and it says uh, the Major League Baseball Players Association rejected the league's most recent proposal to implement a universal DH, uh, according to the Athletics' Ken Rosenthal. MLB offered up a universal DH and a willingness to rule in favor of two players on a pair of service time grievances per Rosenthal, but in exchange, they sought an agreement on expanded playoffs and the implementation of a pitch clock and a spring training trial run with electronic strike zones, among other elements. So again, a lot to unpack from this bit of reporting from Rosenthal. I understand why the players said no to this. I think it's pretty uh, straightforward that the expanded playoffs isn't really a big win for the players side of things. This is a huge win for Major League Baseball and the owners and the teams who get a lot of uh, revenue from making to the playoffs. Some more teams obviously helps them out. I think it's interesting that they're really trying to push forward this pitch clock thing and this electronic strike zone thing. I mean, this is a lot quicker than I was personally expecting it to see even be offered as an option. So Definitely some interesting things to monitor here. I will say one of the things that kind of sucks about this situation is there's still a lack of clarity about is there going to be a DH in the NL or not? And this is a big deal for guys like Nelson Cruz, Marcelo Zuna, these premier hitters who are probably better served as DHs. But if they're not, you know, if there aren't as many options available in terms of, you know, landing spots, it's a problem. So I'm hoping we can see something happen with this in the uh, coming days and weeks. So I kind of want to pivot to some of the recent moves in Major League Baseball and kind of briefly touch on them in terms of the transactions, trades, signings, all that kind of stuff. So we saw the Astros, uh, they resigned Michael Brantley. That became official, honestly, as I was recording this episode. We saw the Yankees acquire Jameson Tyon from the Pittsburgh Pirates for a pretty big package of players, nobody that was super significant, but this is an interesting move for the Yankees. They are building a pretty good rotation. As of right now, the Fangraphs depth charts have the Yankees with the number one projected rotation. Now, a lot of that is Garrett Cole. A lot of that is assuming that Corey Kluber 
coming back from injury is going to be fine. Same for Luis Severino. And Jamison Tyon is coming off of Tommy John surgery. So there is a lot of risk, but I must say, I kind of like the rotation that they're building in the Bronx. In terms of other moves, we also saw the Yankees make a pretty interesting trade. They traded Adam Ottavino to the Red Sox. This was essentially a salary dump, but it's always fun to see the Yankees and Red Sox pull off any kind of trade. And I believe I saw that this was only the second trade that these two teams have made with each other since 1998. So that's a pretty significant deal. We saw the Nationals sign Brad Hand to a one-year deal. This was essentially the same exact deal that Cleveland uh, bypassed his club option for, and every other team in baseball decided it wasn't worth trying to make a move for him uh, through waiver, so he became a free agent and signed essentially the same exact deal. This one is pretty noteworthy. I think Brad Hand has kind of been the recent uh, target for Angels fans who've kind of realized that finding that big rotation piece is becoming less and less likely. So they thought about possibly adding Brad Hand and creating this kind of like super bullpen of sorts. I'm a little torn on Brad Hand's. I love what he's done over the last half decade. It's just remarkable consistency in terms of ERA, strikeouts, walks, innings, all of that kind of stuff. But there's also this very clear decline in velocity over the last four years to the point where it wouldn't surprise me if he completely fell off the table in 2021. But, you know, on a one-year deal, it's pretty low risk. And if he was able to maintain his performance for another year, that could end up being a very nice signing for the Nationals. So we also saw the Red Sox being active in a couple of other moves, and this was uh, pretty surprising. The Red Sox have been kind of punting the last year or so, but it looks like they're at least trying to build a little bit better of a team for 2021. So they signed Enrique Hernandez, uh, the former Dodger, to a deal. Pretty nice signing. I like what Hernandez brings to the table. I think he's versatile. He's able to hit left-handed pitching very well, provides pretty good defense, a little bit of power, a little bit of... uh, on base percentage. So that's a pretty nice signing for them. And then they also signed former angel Garrett Richards to a one year, $10 million deal. Another pretty nice under the radar signing. I still think Richards has a lot left in the tank. His velocity and spin rate, all those things were still in line last year. I'd like to see what he can do over a full season, kind of after coming back from Tommy John surgery. And I guess the last kind of like little signing that we saw was the Nationals re-signed Ryan Zimmerman and brought him back to D.C. Coming up here in a little bit, we are going to kickstart this new series looking at every single GM in Angels franchise history. But first, let me tell you about Bet Online. There is only one place that has you covered and one place we trust, betonline.ag. Sign up today for a free account at betonline.ag and use the promo code LOCKEDON. For your 50% welcome bonus, whether it's the upcoming Super Bowl or the new NBA or NHL season, look no further than Bet Online. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore. Get in on the action. Don't forget to use the promo code Locked On to receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. Let me tell you about Built Bar. I've got to be honest. I just uh, indulged in this for the first time. Uh, Locked On Network was. Very nice to have them send over some free samples of Built Bar, and I absolutely love them. The new and improved Built Bar is even more delicious than it's ever been before. 
There are 18 amazing flavors, including six new flavors. And in my personal experience, I have tried many of them. I indulged in buying the cookies and cream, coconut, and mint brownie ones, and they are certifiably delicious. And for, you know, the most important part about it, Built Bars are healthy. They're great for the health conscious guy or gal. You can lose or maintain weight while indulging in a delicious treat. All the bars are low calorie, low sugar, high protein, and high fiber. If you go to BuiltBar.com right now and use the promo code LOCKEDON, you'll get 20% off your next order. That's promo code LOCKEDON for 20% off at BuiltBar.com. Get more of the sports news you need in less time with our new Locked On Today podcast. Peter Bukowski hosts Locked On Today, a daily podcast breaking down the biggest stories with analysis from local experts. Start your day with all the sports news you need in under 20 minutes. Subscribe to Locked On Today wherever you get your podcast from. So we are going to kickstart a new series here at Locked On Angels, and I'm going to go back and look at every single GM in Angels franchise history. This is an interesting activity that I embarked on last year, kind of during the early quarantine time. I looked uh, in-depth at every single GM and kind of just saw what they were about, what the context was like when they were given the job, what they did well, what they didn't do well, and kind of an overall look at what they did. So I'm essentially going to pull some information from these articles that I wrote, but I did want to give a little bit of a uh, a little intro disclaimer type of thing at the beginning of this. So, you know, as, as a GM of a baseball team, there are so many different tasks that you have to handle, you know, which look at both short-term and long-term. There's putting together your 25 or 26-man roster via player development, the draft, free agent signings, trades. There's finding the balance between winning now and thinking about the long-term prognosis in every single move. There's trying to project how well a pitcher is going to perform, both statistically and on the health side. And maybe the most difficult aspect of all of it is trying to put together a farm system and evaluating what a guy might look like in three to four years. And that's not even considering a potentially hard budget that your owner gives you. Put simply, constructing a baseball roster has its major difficulties. So in this series, we're going to look back at all 12 GMs in Angels franchise history. And coming in first on this list is Fred Haney. So unsurprisingly, you're not going to be shocked to hear that this was the first GM in Angels franchise history. And this was a pretty big task for him, taking over an expansion team. He was given essentially a completely clean slate. So as an expansion team, you're able to pick your players through an expansion draft. Other teams have to protect a certain amount of players. And then you pick from, you know, basically the leftovers that other teams don't want. So it's no surprise that many expansion teams are not great right away. It generally takes a long time to get those teams rolling. But in terms of Fred Haney, uh, baseball lifer through and through, he was a three-sport high school star in Los Angeles. He actually made his way into professional baseball with the Angels when they were with the Pacific Coast League. And for those that are not familiar with that background, the Angels were actually in Los Angeles before the Dodgers came here. And I think that's something that maybe gets lost in the shuffle a little bit when we discuss the original LA team. The Angels were in Los Angeles playing at what was called Wrigley Field in downtown Los Angeles. 
So it was pretty fitting that Haney was able to begin his career with those Angels as a player and then finish it as the new uh, general manager for the expansion Angels. So Haney managed the Milwaukee Braves to several pennants and a 1957 World Series title in the late 1950s. Haney became the man for the Angels' first GM gig. Uh, Angels owner Gene Autry brought Haney on board, who proceeded to hire Bill Rigney as the club's first manager. And the trio of Autry, Haney, and Rigney were tasked with putting together the first Angels team from scratch. So looking at the first draft that the Angels had, the 1960 expansion draft, there were two teams that were selected. You had the Angels and the Washington Senators. They got 30 selections in the draft, and the Angels did quite well. So Fred Haney was able to pick a couple of franchise cornerstones in Jim Fergosi and Dean Chance, and we'll touch on them more a little bit later, and was kind of able to build some solid building blocks right from the start. So their first season, 1961, the Angels are playing in Wrigley Field, the aforementioned Wrigley Field I was just talking about. That was the former home of the PCL Angels, and kind of a peculiar ballpark for an MLB team to play. It was very tiny. It was 345 to left and right center field. So you can think about how uh, short that is and the type of offense you might have seen. And Fred Haney takes full advantage of this small park. So he acquires a handful of big sluggers. You had Steve Bilko, Earl Averill, Lee Thomas, Leon Wagner, and Ken Hunt. All five of those guys hit five or hit 20 plus home runs in 1961. And what's kind of impressive is the Angels finished second in baseball with 189 home runs. Now, some of that was tied to the ballpark, but that only trailed the New York Yankees, that 109-win New York Yankees team who won the World Series, who had those historic seasons from Roger Maris and Mickey Mantle. That was the same year that Roger Maris hit 61 home runs, broke Babe Ruth's record for a single season, and Mickey Mantle hit 54 home run. So pretty impressive for a first year offense uh, as an expansion team. And you saw two other angels make pretty significant contributions in 1961. And those two would be a part of some of the early angels teams. So Albie Pearson, the club's final selection in the draft produced the second best wins above replacements on the team. He's a top 25 position player in franchise history. So that was quite a selection from Fred Haney. And you also saw Ken McBride lead the team with 4.1 wins above replacement and 241 and two-thirds innings of strong work. The Angels managed to win 70 games in their inaugural season. You know, that was that still stands as an MLB record for an expansion team today. So by all accounts, this has to be considered a successful first season that Fred Haney had. But I think most notably is the two guys who would, you know, help the team weren't even big parts of the 1961 team. And those guys were Jim Fergosi and Dean Chance. So if you followed along my series, looking back at the best players in franchise history, Jim Fergosi and Dean Chance are familiar names. I mean, Jim Fergosi was right at the top of that list. He was right behind uh, Mike Trout. And it, it's incredible that both of these guys were selected in an expansion draft. And they're two of the best to ever put on an Angels uniform. So Fergosi comes into the majors, you know, as a full-time regular 
1963. He's a 21-year-old and puts together one of the best peaks in Angels franchise history. So you see his numbers from 1963 to 1970. That's an eight-year stretch. He's a top 10 position player in baseball by wins above replacement. He trails only future Hall of Famers during that time. So it's pretty remarkable that he is essentially performing like a Hall of Famer during his peak. And again, his 42.6 wins above replacement trail, only Mike Trout, Chuck Finley, Nolan Ryan. So acquiring Fergusi was far and away the best move Haney ever made in his Angels tenure. And then Dean Chance, while his peak was a lot shorter, he was also really, really good for a stretch. So from 1961 to 1966, he's worth 22.6 wins above replacement. His 1964 season is arguably the best season in Angels franchise history. 1.65 ERA in 278 and a third innings. If you look at uh, runs against war, so essentially this is looking strictly at your runs you allowed and then transferring that to wins above replacement. That is the 33rd best season by a starter since 1900, 11.5 RA9 war. So very impressive stuff. Uh, Chance was also, you know, he had his off the field shenanigans with uh, his teammate, Bo Belinsky. That kind of led to his trade after the 1966 season. So let's look at what he did well and what he didn't do well. So I think starting with what he did do well is it's not an easy task to be a general manager, especially when you're tasked with putting together a team from scratch. And by all things, you know, all things considering, it's hard to gripe with the on-field results that he had. So eight seasons, the Angels win 47.5% of their games they played, finishing above 504 of the eight seasons. And that's pretty good considering that they're an expansion team. And I think most notably is he did quite stellar in the expansion draft, getting guys like Jim Fergosi, getting Dean Chance, uh, Albie Pearson, all those kind of guys. And, you know, he didn't hit on a ton of players in the Major League Baseball draft, which was incorporated in the 1960s. But he did select Andy Messersmith, Clyde Wright, Ken Forsh. He also selected or uh, he signed two sports star Rick Reichart to a $200,000 deal that was a record at the time. And again, that came right before the draft was incorporated. So all around pretty good job from what he did. Well, I I think what Haney didn't do well is I think you just look at what he did. And I think the most damning evidence against him is the club wasn't any closer to a playoff spot by the time he was done as angels GM. And yes, the club was pretty competitive in half of the seasons there. They were never really that close to making it to the playoffs and his final season, 1968, the Angels lost 95 games. That was the worst figure that they had posted at any time. And unsurprisingly, this was due to his inability to kind of build the team from within. So yes, he did quite well in the expansion draft, but was never able to kind of kick that next, you know, phenomenal player or build a core around them. So, I mean, overall, it's always hard to evaluate a GM. And I think that's going to be kind of a recurrent theme in this whole exercise. Baseball is incredibly volatile. And there are so many things happening behind closed doors that have to do with the owner and financial situation, all that kind of stuff. And it's even more difficult to evaluate a guy from the 1960s who was 
tasked with putting together, you know, a team from nothing. And this guy was at a major disadvantage from the start. It's important to remember that once he was there, they didn't have the MLB draft yet and free agency was still well away. And based on the information we have, he did a pretty good job, you know, handling a very difficult situation. They were decently competitive in half of the seasons, picking Jim Fergosi, picking Dean Chance, who wins the first Cy Young Award uh, in the Angels franchise history. Bo Belinsky pitched the first no-hitter under his watch, and he was able to usher in this new franchise and playing, you know, doing so playing in three different home ballparks. They played at Wrigley Field, Dodger Stadium, and Angel Stadium. Yes, the Angels were not any closer to making it to the playoffs by the time he left, but I think overall, he was fine as a GM. There was nothing that was, you know, incredibly worthwhile, you know, after that expansion draft in 1961 or 1960, but overall, pretty darn good job from the first Angels GM. That's going to do it for today's episode of Locked on Angels. As always, if you want to follow me on Twitter, you can find me at bmags94 and my written work at Crashing the Pearly Gates. Once again, I want to apologize for the microphone issues. I went back and forth on deciding if I wanted to podcast, but I'm not exactly sure when this will be fixed. It appears that there's something a little loose in the microphone, and I decided that a lower quality podcast was better than no podcast at all. So again, apologies for that. I'm going to try to fix that as soon as possible. In terms of what's coming next, we're going to continue this series and look back at some of these Angels GMs, keep you up to date on other moves, and probably start incorporating some more guests as we get closer to the start of spring training, if it's still starting on time. But with that being said, that's going to do it for today's episode. As always, thank you for joining. Stay safe out there, and we'll talk some Angels baseball on Wednesday. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.